My favorite The Next Generation episode tonight, Darmok, and uh, that comes as a surprise to people sometimes, but um, somehow or another it just clicks with me. I've got a lot of emotion out of this episode for whatever reason. It took me a while to get into this one. I was halfway, th- uh, I want to say like 20 minutes into it, I'm like, this one sucks. And you're <laughs> like, which one are you watching? And, and I was like, Darmok, and you're like, you motherfucker, it's my favorite one ever. I and did not say that. Yes, you did. I heard it in your tone. You were very oh, cordial. Oh, well, that might be the case. You were very cordial, and you if it had been anybody else, that's what you would have said out loud. I don't know about that. <clears throat> I had my boy over uh, for a week recently, so which is one of the reasons we haven't been like dumping content out into the world. But uh, 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 what is it like? Uh, oh, Sci-Fi Network. Not sci-fi, sorry, no, uh, BBC America plays Star Trek episodes in Marathon most weekdays. So they've got Next Generation back-to-back-to-back-to-back all day, and then they've got, sometimes they've got Voyager, which, you know, has its moments. So, uh... I hope they're digesting Star Trek the way we digest Doctor Who on BBC America. I don't know. I mean, is it quirky and different? I mean, Star Trek has been around for, I guess, as long as Doctor Who, but it is a very American show, and Doctor Who is very, very British. Uh, well, at, at the same time, question. at the same time, though, one of the things about Doctor Who is that they have a very limited budget, and mm-hmm. one of the best best things about Doctor Who is the set department. Uh, Everything that's all the designs are on a shoestring budget, right? And they do their best with what they have, and because of that, it makes it better because it challenges artists to be artists, and especially the writers, especially when they're like you know going through and what they can and cannot do. And it, I think, I think shoestring budgets make it better because, like, yeah, you could. I mean, you've got Doctor Who doing what they can with what they have, and then you've got Michael Bay, and it's just all this CGI mess. And it wouldn't have that quirky, homegrown, this feels like art and fun to me as opposed to watching any Transformers movie. Yeah, I mean, even Trek has its moments. If you go back to the first series, the original series, you could show... It's one of the things I appreciated about it a lot was that uh, all of the ship walls were basically painted the same kind of, uh, you know, battleship gray, navy gray. And um, then they would just shine a particular a particular light sequence up on the wall. Not a sequence, but like, hey, we're in Chekhov's quarters, so it's going to be this color. So they just shine lights up 
on the wall. You go to Spock's quarters and everything had a red tint. And uh, they did, they just, you could easily move the set pieces around. All of the set pieces that you could move around, it's called wilding. You wild them from one place to the next. And um, But even Next Generation got into some stuff like that. You've got the first season and the second season where it does look a little bit low budget in ways, but they were making they were making those those episodes on heavy duty money for 1987 and 88 and then uh well, what sort what sort of heavy duty money oh gosh what was it like it might have been like a million dollars an episode or something um really a million dollars an episode i don't know i could be completely wrong i'm gonna I, it's, that begs to be looked up but i was gonna get into the point i was getting into was that sometimes they would find interesting ways to save money one of the things that we found in the auction was uh, the Sheliak costume. I don't know if you recall that alien. Is that something that's familiar to you? It is. Give me a little bit of hints so I can figure it out. Uh, um, no, it's not that episode. It's interesting that they're listed as such. Uh, the episode, The Ensigns of Command. It was the one where uh, there was the... There was the colony that needed to be moved because... It had been uh, the the colony of people needed to be yes, removed from yes. this planet because uh, the Shelly were going to yeah the Shelly were going to come take over. Well, and they they of course for everybody else, Data goes down there because he's the only person that can tolerate the radiation of the planet. And uh, they're like, okay, well, hey, by the way, we've got to get you guys out of here. They don't want to leave, and he has to convince them. If you don't leave, you're going to die. And they think, oh, well, we'll fight him or whatever. It was just. Ridiculous. One of those ridiculous things that happens, and it's kind of like they do, they revisit that concept over and over again. The point is, the Sheliak itself, you only see one of them, and it's on the view screen. The, the commander? Yeah, yeah, and it's like, it's basically, it was a guy with a, with a, with a, a, a bed sheet with a bunch of molded foam rubber components glued to it that had an iridescent reflectivity painted, and so... As it moved around, it was kind of this formless glob or something like that. Um, Love it. And that was really cheap. And then they just did an acrylic thing, a bunch of like a like look at like a the Superman's Fortress of Solitude type of crystal structure, but it was more organized than that. And it was just acrylic like tubes. That's really cheap compared to some of the stuff that they've done in other episodes. Especially when you've got to build a new set and you're going to involve a shuttlecraft and all this other stuff. And what, 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 uh, anyway, so I mean, we get into the episode Darmok, and I feel like to a certain degree, this one was probably inexpensive. There was very significant alien makeup designed and done for the children of Tama, the Tamarians. Uh, and you see most of them on the view screen, but then we see, uh, the, like, world-class actor Paul Winfield portraying Captain Dathan. And, um... You know, from I mean, Mars I Attacks. Say, from, from Mars Attacks. What was he in Mars Attacks? I don't recall that. He, he was... He was basically... He was the, uh... When they're on their way to meet the Martians the very first time, and he's on... He, he's in the Jeep, and they're in oh. the desert. He's on the phone with his wife. Like, I told you, babe, if I just kept my head down, <laughs> and if I just played the rules... Everything was going to be okay. Now I'm going to get to be the ambassador to meet the Martians the first time. I've got to look <laughs> at that. That's hilarious. Yeah, he's the, he's the guy that uh, oh, shakes yeah. the hand of the, the Martian ambassador, and the hand comes off and stabs it. 
Oh man, yeah, he doesn't have his Don't trademark cry. mustache, so it's a little. I didn't. I guess it just didn't stick with me. But yeah, I just pulled up a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, screenshots. Man, yeah, his foil in that point. movie. His foil in that movie. The 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 white guy. We gotta nuke him and nuke him now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, sorry, guys, uh, we're getting a little uh, divulgent. Uh, we exactly. need to we'll get into this story. Yeah, let's get into the episode uh, here. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to start, uh, let's see, we're both recording. We're about eight minutes in, so um, if anybody's yeah, like first, sipping uh, or something. Hopefully IMDb is not wrong about this one. Star Trek Next Generation, Season 5, Episode 2, Darmok, directed by Winrich Colby, writers Winrich. Gene Roddenberry. Winrich, uh-huh. Winrich, yeah. Joe, Joe Man- Manoski, Philip yep, yep. Lezebnik. Ooh, I don't know that one. And let's see here. Original air date. Let's find this. That's a good thing. September twenty eighth, nineteen ninety one. God damn, dude! Our, were we ever that young? <laughs> I was. Yeah, I was. Jesus, I was eleven. No, I was ten. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. No, I was 11, so 28th, yeah. All right. So, we're uh, watching this on Netflix, guys. We've got it queued up to 000. Um, it's way better on Netflix. It's, it's, I, I, again, we've talked about it before. You can watch it on Hulu, but on Netflix, it just seems way more high def. But I'm at 000, yeah. man. Other than Give that, no dish. Seriously, we're just, you know, it's something yeah. that we're both easily accessible is using Netflix. We're not being promoted by Netflix or anything. But uh, yeah, let's let's start. We'll do it on uh, on engage in three, two, one, engage. Nice beauty shot. Look at that beautiful star. It really shot. is. Yeah, you're right. This is pretty crisp, high def on uh, on uh, Netflix. Those colors. I mean, the high yeah, def did you notice- is so good on these next generation episodes. In the later episodes, they started adding rainbow colors to the uh, stars going by faster. That's true. Uh-huh. It's, it, it might have been even earlier, but uh, you really pick up on it. That The concept of redshift, it really works. Look, did you see when they were – when? okay, so they're in the observation lounge discussing their mission. Did you see that the uh, – oh, the previous – the wall behind Data here is not the gold – representations of previous enterprise models uh that's what confused me a second ago because you said ready room i uh, well no you said uh, observation, observation room mm-hmm. uh i i thought that the the other room was his ready room where right. they had those yeah no no his ready room doesn't have those this is this is where you know this is their senior senior officers meetings happens in the observation lounge and uh you'll hear them call for it you know senior officers to the bridge and then they'll something is like, let's have a conference or whatever. But they call this the observation lounge. The, the, one of the things about that really intrigued me about this uh, right off the bat, despite the fact that I didn't like it right away was that one of the best parts about Star Trek period is that they interact in the most specific ways for communication to be as precise as possible. Mm-hmm. Like when you have a conversation with someone and like, yeah, we're both speaking English, but we're not speaking the same language. Um, it takes a bit for some people to understand that because yeah, we're, you know, I, I hear the, the thank you. 
Oh yeah, but you're, you're not speaking the same language, and I and that's one of the things that really hooked me. And uh, it took me a bit to figure out like how are not how how are the uh, universal translators not understanding what the hell these guys are talking about? And it makes sense, and we'll talk about that later. Um, in in terms of metaphors, I mean, like that's why oh, I hate yeah. Shakespeare. It's just constant metaphor. But this is different. I mean, they're not these and vows. This this is precise increments of inflections, uh, body language, and these actors. I, I I really, I feel like if I asked them these questions, they'd be like, "What the fuck are you talking about? We were just doing our best to do a sci-fi fucking lark." And uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting, yeah. It it always kind of – it's disappointing that you go to a Star Trek convention and they don't have the writers going around discussing the episodes they worked on. I'm not going to say they aren't there, but – because, you know, David Gerald was out there for years and years and uh, DC Fontana. Oh, my gosh, I love her. I used to run into her at lunch and breakfast in Burbank all the time with her husband, Academy Award-winning special effects guy for the, uh, The Abyss. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we're always asking these actors these questions. I mean, they can talk about their craft. They're not talking about, sometimes they get it. Sometimes they really do get it. I know what you're saying. And sometimes they definitely get it. Most of them, I think at least have a glimmer of it. So they, they, they never went into their, their careers with these shows, um, thinking they were going to have a career on a lecture circuit afterwards trying to suss these sociological concepts out. Man. Uh, one of the things that really intrigues me about this particular episode, because already, you know, they're, they're watching him on the bridge, and he's pretending, he's pretending the swords right now, Darmok. And after that episode where they encounter that alien race that has those severe, like, legality laws. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember, uh, uh, Picard had to figure out like how to decode their legal laws in order to have a like a fighting chance, and this one just takes it to another, another, another level. Oh, definitely. I mean, we were just talking about the Sheliak. That's one of those legalistic aliens. There's also I can't I can't come up with it off the top of my head. There was one episode where Captain Picard was preparing for something to be able to just say something correct. For the, the entire same, episode, and at the end of the episode, he just gets that's to the that bridge. Episode. That's the one? Okay, yeah. Uh, that was early. That, that's, that's the one. That's <laughs> the one. Oh, I used to have a oh, photo wow. of me doing what Captain Dathan is doing right now, holding both of those knives. Oh, it was in my office. Is that, is that SoCal? Yeah, definitely. That's one of the things I was... Like, you can film a lot of this episode on the cheap, because you can take Paul Winfield, and you can take Patrick... Out to the, you know, out to anywhere in the valley, and you can film their scenes there, but you've still got that entire set of stuff that's going on back at, like, Stage 18 or wherever they happen to film this on the Paramount backlot. But then you get into the Eladrell creature. I mean, I've seen that costume, and it's this giant molded foam rubber blue-painted costume and then there was also the head that you had a little bit of detail. I think I've got a photo of uh, my old coworker Dennis with his hand in the mouth of that thing. I will send that photo if, if you want to stick that on as our cover image for this. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, this can't be as inexpensive an episode as I thought it was. With all of that, 
We're gonna see. Spe- we've got a whole what new am- starship design. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's a lot more. Uh, this is pretty heavy in, after in all. Focus. One of my favorite uh, jokes from Family Guy was, uh, I think it was Family Guy, was they, they were like reminiscing on uh, Mash, and like, and oh, like yeah. isn't it, isn't it crazy how uh, uh, South Korea looks <laughs> amazingly like Southern Southern California? <laughs> oh, for real? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always been in. Yeah, here we go. Been impressed with that the, the joke that a lot of people knew that Mash went on way longer than. The actual the Korean, Korean War. On. But, you know. I had a guy one weekly. time when I was uh, working at the hospital. When I was working at the hospital, this guy called in about how he's a, a military vet. He's a Vietnam War vet. And uh, I'm collecting his information. And he's like, I'm Richard Dickhead, whatever his name is. And I was like, okay, what's your date of birth? And he says, 1968. And I'm like, you're a <laughs> Vietnam vet? Um pretty sure the vietnam war ended in 73 74 yeah. what book you're reading uh how old were you in the war and then he just hung up on me and I, I was like it was one of those days just wasn't having it yeah sure <laughs> like just hung up on me he was calling the bitch that that the hospital and giving him a fucking uh opioids oh wow. i'm sure he bought him later stands a chance there's gotta be claw marks in that In what? Look at this uniform. In a Worf, Worf station. Like, oh, there's an episode later where you're going to see it. Yeah. Winrick Colby. That was the name. So, yeah, you were bringing up the uh, captain's uh, option jacket. Suede away jacket. Suede away jacket. I say suede away jacket. Okay, so we we were talking about that before. Here's, obviously, we're seeing this for the first time. And he's got this this sweet, like, gray undershirt here. Uh, charcoal covered. If yeah. I was getting really detailed, what went, and I went to Dude. Memory Alpha and looked it up. I mean, the captain's uniform was designed by Robert Blackman uh, to make Captain Picard stand out from the rest of the crew. At the suggestion of Patrick Stewart, it was prompted by Stewart raising complaints about how uncomfortable the standard duty uniforms were, and the, uh, the <laughs> David Livingston, who was producing said it's just something a little bit more casual for the captain. The genesis of the design was that submarine and aircraft commanders sometimes have a jacket that's special. Maybe they were just tired of the constant Picard tuck. Ah, <laughs> the the, the uh, Picard maneuver, as they decided to call it. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, look at the uh, Temerian I, costumes I, I, here. They those, those get reused in a lot of episodes, especially in Deep Space Nine and in Voyager. But without the uh, the vest and without the Sam Brown belt aspect and the knife holders, uh, but oh man, their the model for their starship gets used over and over and over again, even in even in Next Generation later, and uh, it's just it's just, it's a really crisp looking alien model. Sometimes they took the like the command module from the front of it, that diamond shaped portion. You'll see it in a minute, and they added different. I guess wings and engines and nacelles or something, but more or less they use it for uh, again and again. So uh, in Deep Space Nine, in particular, I think it's the Talani uh, searching for the Harvester virus. That's uh, that's an episode that uh, features it again. Before we get too off track here, uh, I do want to point out the absolute patience that they have 
for the Enterprise. Like, yeah, they've lost it a few times, but they're not they're not in, actively engaging in war. Uh, he threw the sword, he, the the knife down. He's already has his his flame going. Picard's having trouble. I've seen you start a fire that way, by the way, and the fact that Picard realizes, am I really in danger here? Yeah, he wonders about it real fast. I think as soon as as soon as Captain Dathan starts trying to talk to him right now, he realizes this isn't a contest of strength. This no. is the perfect thing for him to be saying, Picard of the Federation, of the Starship Enterprise. Maybe he doesn't understand the words, but he is presenting the beginnings of the, of developing a, memo, a metaphor. Now, I love that he uses, that Captain Dathan uses elements of his costume his uniform, for whatever religious thing he's trying to do. He's praying, in essence. It's almost voodoo when you think about chicken bones and stuff. But uh, right. he's throwing the throwing the bones. Those things were beautiful. They were all kinds of different minerals, and they were uh, different um, metals that were, like, welded in spots. And uh, he's taking them all off. If you, if you throw it, I'm not saying to do it now, but if you go back and freeze frame on that, Oh, dude, I had those in my hands. This is just something special to me, this particular episode. Going to the lengths of detail to create an alien world, and then we don't get to know anything else about it uh, beyond what we have here. It's very frustrating to me that there wasn't any other novel written about these characters, about them going on to continue some kind of diplomatic proceeding. But then we can only guess because we see Temerians in costume, on Deep Space Nine, in the promenade, walking around in, uh, so in years that would follow after this episode. This, this is interesting because he's not setting booby traps to protect him from Picard. Right. He's setting, he's setting, uh, I don't know, ritualistic booby traps to protect him from what he knows is there. Then he sleeps with a knife because he knows it's there. He, he's not worried about Picard. Well, he knows that the mission will be a failure if Picard gets eaten by the Eladrell creature. But, right, but, uh, but, he, but even then, he's not setting up booby traps to protect him from an correct. enemy. Yeah, I agree with you there, for sure. I think everything... Cha- I mean, you were right. Just a minute ago, everything changes. But when he, when he hands him the fire, that goes a long way to getting Picard to settle down. I mean... This is, unfortunately, one of the things that gets me about this is Picard is smarter than this. Picard is smarter than all of this problem. Like, that's what that's what bothered me in watching yeah. this, was I, because I couldn't figure it out fast enough. Well, he's coming off a little dense here. Like, it, it bugs me because I've seen Dancers with Wolves a lot. And I, that, despite the fact that I'm starting to see that it's a trope, uh, that movie shares so much in in common with this show, with this episode. When when uh, Kicking Bird and John Dunbar are trying to communicate initially, and it's dangerous because wind in his hair is there, and he's very fierce, and he doesn't have the patience. But Kicking Bird is a medicine man, and he has the patience, and he's intellectual, and he thinks of things. So he starts to wrap his head around, you know, why is this man here? This is the same setup, but instead, the Sioux have 
uh, come to find the white people, as it would be, I guess, if they want to call the Starfleet or the Federation that in this instance. You know, and I mean, it's, oh, oh, yeah, here, here, by the way, I'm jumping off track here, but um, we talked about this actress, I dare say, yeah, that's Cameron, she shows up in a bunch of episodes, and, uh... She's one of the stunt chicks, uh-huh. and, and is, like, random shit getting into uh, escalator, elevator, uh, all the time. Oh, yeah, totally. If you go back and think about one of the, uh, Data's Day that we reviewed, um... Yeah, she was at the tactical console in lieu of Worf in a funny scene where Riker, is he hitting on her? Is he telling her a joke? Is he telling her a story? Oh, yeah. And Data yeah, walks that. in and watches this because he's fascinated by Riker's just, like, being completely at ease with the crew. But anyway, yeah, I like that actress. She shows up in a bunch of episodes. I don't think she ever gets a line. But anyway, yeah, she's... Uh, anyway, yeah, so this this scene... It's interesting when we get scenes where I think where Worf is in a shuttlecraft. I, it just doesn't happen that often. It'll happen again right. in parallels, and we see it in uh, the best of both worlds. But typically, it's just fascinating to think everybody's a pilot. Everybody's right. capable of of piloting a shuttle. You kind of have to be, and it's but- it's cool because it's like okay, it's like GI Joe. Everybody can fly a Sky Striker. Everybody can fly. A dragonfly helicopter? It's ridiculous to think that. Can everybody drive a tank? No, that's Good crazy. Point. But Starfleet Good makes point. sense. However, these guys might be able to all pilot something, but can they all lead? And this is something that made me love Riker an infinitesimal amount more, was the fact <laughs> that he realized that there's something going on he doesn't understand, but he has to be on alert at all times. To make sure that the captain is protected, but oh, but we, what can he do? You know, uh, but he he doesn't know yet that they're going to be ineffectual against their their shields yet. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't care. All he cares he's about try. is yeah, exactly. And and he's got to protect the captain. But at the same time, though, there's discourse, there's discussion. I mean, right here, right now, they're they're figuring out what yeah. the hell to do. But it's not like yeah, let's go. Let's go blazing cowboys. Let's fuck these guys. Sorry, get the ghost. Let's <laughs> let's fuck these guys up. No, we got to figure it out. I trust the captain, and but I still have to make sure that my allies, my 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 brethren, my 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 crew, know that I'm doing my best. I, I can't imagine the, the thing, amount of yeah. stress that 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 he's experiencing right now. Because yeah, he can give him to Worf. Like, yeah, let's fuck him up. Worf, you know, Worf's always let's, let's immediately go into battle. Oh, Data yeah. wants. To, well, Data wants to figure it out. Troy wants to analyze the situation and talk about feelings. And goddamn, I mean, like that's really the best sort of crew you can have. Uh, really, to Reservoir Dog that shit. No, it's fascinating. I totally agree because every single member of that crew has something to do right now. Jordy's got to figure out a way through the particle scattering device. Worf has to be involved in that because he's got to figure out whether or not the weapons are going to do it. And he's like, okay, am I going to lead an away team? Riker can't lead the away team. He has to be in charge. You're right. Data has to go look at the historical record to figure out, to wager this incident against all the other preceding uh, instances of the Federation coming in contact with the Temerians. And Troy 
nobody else, nobody could be more perfect than Troy to go and try to figure that Agreed. out with him. Because that's the beauty of data. Data can analyze quadrillions of pieces of information as fast as possible, but he can't put the human edge on it. And even if Diana isn't exactly, even if she isn't 100% human, she gets it more than anybody else. But but the ace card here is is they're in a situation they've never been in before. Oh, of course. And Picard, they, 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 Picard, no, Picard doesn't know what to do. You're, oh, my gosh, he, you're totally right. He, I have never been in any next-gen episode where Picard was in a true quagmire. Mm. That's a good point. We're going to think his way out of something. And, he doesn't think his way out of something usually, this, but he doesn't usually have to do it by himself. Oh, but 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 not like this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not like this. Like where the, he's got help. He is pick, piecing together the clues. He, he's going through. He sees the guy's literal captain log, captain's mm-hmm. log, and and the, the the relics that he was leaving out to protect him are still there. That could be interpreted as some sort of force field. Uh, you know, don't cross this. The like, this will hurt you. And none of them are in any way oh, hurting, hurtful, hurtful to hurtful to him. And in all actuality, the other guy is just out looking for breakfast. The uh, there's an episode of uh, Enterprise that I, I honestly, actually, I want to talk about this scene real quick. I really appreciate that they're able to go in and ascertain things based on piecemeal information and start sticking it together. And every one of these things that they're looking at. You're clearly not here to listen to the dialogue of the show if you're listening to us. But um, yeah. you, you, uh, like every piece of information that they are putting together is in and of itself its own story that we could interpret and expound upon if we wanted to. Um, but only, what gets me is like, they... what do the children of Tama know about this Darmok on whatever other planet unless he was a Tamarian? And then why is that in the Federation's historical record? So that leads to the possibility of even more. Especially, especially when at the beginning, when they say we have very little knowledge of these people at all. Oh, exactly. Everybody considers those previous encounters as more or less disastrous and unintelligible. But they have knowledge of their mythology. And that this is when it really came into me when they're, they're starting to piece together the mythology. Yeah. And realizing that, these people don't speak yes, no. They speak in beautiful soliloquies. They, they speak in poetry. Right. And, and, yeah, like the Federation doesn't know jack shit about these guys, but they still know about their bedtime stories, their their boogeymen, their... Yeah. Like, what gets me <laughs> like, here, Chantil 3, though, I know what you're saying. Like, we're li- we sh- just saw that moment, and... They're listening to it, and they're like, okay, we're starting to figure it out. I like that you said boogeyman, and I like that you said they're bedtime stories because it all makes sense as such. But how do they even know it, you know? All right. Agreed. Agreed. The complication here is wondering how it is that anybody could, like as a child, how you don't just inherently know these stories unless, unless you do. They're aliens. They could be born knowing their mythology, and that would be totally wacky. That's the only way that you could do it without explaining what Darmok is, what Jalad is, what Tanagra is. 
what Shanti uh, and all of these different places and people and whatever. But uh, yeah, I wanted to go back to the to a point. Uh, I lo- there's an episode of Enterprise that amuses me um, along the same lines as this. You were saying like, okay, so the 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 totemic icons that he took off of his uniform and set up that could be, you're right, it could be a force field or it could be like a protective barrier in his mind that if somebody crosses it... Salt. Yeah, exactly. So like that episode of Enterprise where they run into the uh, Cretaci or the Crisari, I can't recall, and they, um, uh, they're revolted by the Enterprise crew and they don't know why. And they're like, well, it's because you guys all eat together, and that's a very sacred thing to us. We never eat in the company of other people. And it was a huge offense. Like, Picard walking in there and grab... Oh, by the way, there's uh, Ashley Judd again. Um, Ashley Judd, who doesn't ever say anything about her time on Star Trek for some reason. Uh, Anyway, crossing that barrier, Picard could have committed a terrible diplomatic affront. And he apologized immediately. So there's no telling whether or not he knew that. And, of course, I'm reading into it. I just think it's fascinating. Anything could be going on with that. Oh, the tension. Fucking Riker is just, what do we do? Dude, I know. They're really cranked in this one. (sighs) Oh, I didn't remember Cole Meany being in this episode. This is one of those unfortunate situations where he's wearing lieutenant's ranks. And then... The first couple of seasons of Next Generation, he's wearing a single pip that's darkened. So that's the Eladrell creature, by the way. Um, the Eladrell creature, like I said, that's that is a special effects blue when, put up against when the a blue walls screen. Fell, yeah, he's talking about the walls of Jericho. Essentially, that could that's an interesting point too because. When you get into some of the other Star Trek lore that people built on, the idea that all humanoid life in the galaxy were seeded by a race that uh, were eventually written out by Judith and Garfield Reese Stevens in the William Shatner Star Trek novels uh, called The Preservers. The idea that, and then they did the episode where they hunt for the DNA program with the Cardassians, the Klingons, the Romulans. Etc. You haven't seen that episode yet, but this idea that all humanoid life is seeded by the same species, so that everybody is in some way related. Even the children of Tama could be related in one fashion or another. But you know, your evolutionary upbringing changes everything. Look at this trust. Yeah, they're they're in it now. They get it because they have that shared sense of fear. In the end. At the very least, they can share fear of a giant cloaked creature that's howling at them. They're basically fighting a predator. Oh, completely, yeah. Zoning the knife. army with fist open. Get, go, go over there. You might also notice, looking at Captain Dathan's hand, look at his thumb there. There's a special effects uh, makeup component to make him look more alien. It's one of the rare times in Next Generation that they did anything like that with hands. I think we saw some people that kind of had flippered hands occasionally. Uh, but then I remember Nikki Cox um, playing Sarjenka. She had longer fingers 
you're, you're talking about the you're talking about the child that data re, re, uh, right. sa saved. Yeah. So this phrase, Sokoth, his eyes uncovered, as well as Shaka when the walls fell, have become pop culture phrases that recur a lot of times. You get together with a bunch of nerdy Star Trek fans, and they're gonna, you know, they will find a way to uh, present that phrase in conversation. No. Oh, man. I, I shit when this happened. Yeah. Like, is he willing it not to happen? No, I can't that, that, that was my question. Was he willing himself to stay there? Or or, or were the other, the other band making sure it didn't happen? It would have been interesting if... Uh, I mean, I don't know if he's able to perceive what's going on with Captain Dathan... Like second to second, he knows that Captain Dathan's getting beat to beat to hell. But does he know that? Uh, but is he stuck in the loop here? He's in like, can he still perceive things while this transporter signal buffering and all these techniques Great. are going on? Great so question. It would it would be amazing to me if he was almost there and and uh, O'Brien could hear him shouting. Ah! like with a cool reverb effect and then he's like the captain doesn't want to come back and they're like uh okay now we gotta trust these guys send him back you know just that would have gone oh, another, but then we wouldn't have even that, more tension on that, the ships that still would have added great great storyline that he would have sent himself back and willed himself back to save a stranger I don't think they're strangers now you know as soon as uh they're still strangers, but even then, like, to risk his life and risk the crew's life, because he doesn't know what these guys are going to do if he fails or, yeah. or if the, the other guy prevails. It's the question of whether or not, you know, you're going to accidentally sidestep your way, way into a war by, uh, by misinterpretation. I like how close the ships are. Oh, yeah, they're really nose-to-nose, aren't they? I kind of wonder, like, why... The Enterprise-D is a giant ship. Is there any reason why they couldn't move the ship into the particle scattering field? Thus, you know, because it's definitely going to be projected from the Temerian ship in a conical fashion. So they've got to be able to disrupt this scattering field by positioning themselves between the ship and the planet. But would that lead to gunplay? It's a fascinating thing. Like, you go in and you... If, if this isn't your episode, I get it. And I'm not talking to you. I mean, like, our, our listeners and our fans and stuff. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not into it, I get it. But if you start to look at some of these things, this one just grows on you. Because there's something really did. all over I the place to be it. paid attention. Everyone is engaged. Everyone is has their own individual mission. Everyone is filled with mystery and fear and none of them are losing it yeah no of course they, they're professionals and god by the way it, it occurs to me now because you're like everybody's got their own mission oh we didn't see captain or we didn't see dr crusher uh in any of the previous scenes that i can recall so nope i wonder yeah what's her deal you know she's going to be waiting for them to get up but at least she because 
dang, even then they drag her into this meeting and she's still got great ideas, you know? She's but at the same time still prepared for casualties. Oh, yeah. I, what I was getting at, though, was even having Ashley Judd in engineering for Jordy in that moment, because you've got... it's What shows have the guts to separate the action between one set that is more or less in communication with another set? You know? We've got stuff right. going on in engineering. We've got... Everybody else is on the bridge. It, it is an awesome motivation for more tension, for more drama, more excitement, even action. You know, it's not every episode where the Borg invade the ship in one place and then they all come tromping down there to see what it is. Right. Or, you know, so it's just fascinating. They're like, yeah, let's get it. Let's get Ashley in there on this episode because we set her up as a, as an existing engineer. And, uh, we'll see how that goes. You know, Jordy needs somebody to bounce some ideas off of. It could have noticed. It could notice, have been Linda Larson. Something. It could have been Sonia Gomez, but they, they got rid of her real fast, you know? Picard's got both knives. Yeah, I think that... Uh, he's on patrol. I don't think is in fighting form now. Oh, of course he's not, but that means... That means that Dathan has given his trust... That's true. For, ...for Picard to maintain the perimeter. Yeah. Well, you, you know, and here we I, don't go. Know if you're, I don't know if you're doubling anything up and you're doubling your attack ability by having two knives no, no. necessarily. It, it, no, he, that meant he trusts Picard to maintain the perimeter. Yeah, yeah, no, it, I dig. Here we go. Honestly, there's just something about the way this story is told that makes so much sense. And this is my problem with I the whole concept is how difficult it would be to ingratiate your your metaphorical uh, allegory to Agreed. children unless they were just born with an innate sense of understanding it. Or maybe maybe all these all their children are uh, telepathic or empathic for a few years and they lose it. Who knows? I wish that Picard had brought him water. Oh man. What would yeah. Would water just, be poisonous? It, not w w whether or not Dathan needs it. I'm saying that that metaphor would have yes. been would have resonated that he went and searched water out, clean water, mm -hmm. to feed his enemy friend, frenemy. Who knows? Uh -huh. But the guy gave you his only form of protection to protect him at his weakest moment. Yeah. I just want I, – I, I'm sorry. It's stupid and so so subtle. I just wish he'd have brought him some water. What would he have brought it in though? Oh, we, it, it, do, it doesn't matter. He would have figured it out. Maybe like a curved out rock, something. <laughs> something, something to bring him water. Picard would have figured it out. Uh, it's a sort of crazy thing, too, you know. It, they've been down there for, I don't know what the uh, celestial day is on this planet, but imagine they've been down there for a full day, and um, neither of them have had anything to really eat or drink at this point. Yep. It's like, it's like, it's like one of those, uh, 
leadership seminars or trust building exercises that they do, corporate retreats and stuff like that. Oh yeah, makes me think of that BS that uh, <laughs> Hans tells McLean and Die Hard. You ever shot a gun before? I shot one of those that uses paint at a corporate retreat. <laughs> Such a, I, I love that part. Like he just pulls that totally out of his, out of his ass. Oh no, no bullets. What do you think of stupid, Han? Exactly. Yeah, hold him. Oh don't, man, don't yeah, let, physical don't, contact. Don't let me die alone. If this were a person. Any of that would make sense. If this was a human being, I'm sorry. And, Agreed. Uh, Agreed. If this was, yeah, if this was a, you know. But that's just, the beauty of Star Trek. Yeah. It doesn't matter. He doesn't know. What are they, what are they into, you know? Maybe comfort to them is something completely ridiculous. This is where he, I can't wait. you know, yeah, he figures it all out. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, they all know that story. And that's the beauty of it. In the last part of this, there that all Tamarians will know henceforth the story of Dathan and Picard at Eladrell. Right. But and I think that the story changes. It's not Darmok and Jalad were, were unaware of one another and they fought the beast at Tanagra and they became friends. It probably also means that the story has changed. Picard and Dathan at Eladrell might mean these two people that didn't know one another had a shared instance and they met one another and became uh, friends and allies. But there's an maybe there's a there's a couple of tablespoons of honor and respect stirred into that why, story henceforth. Why do you think he's smiling in his death out? Oh yeah, because he knows he's getting it. He knows it's going to work. Because this story is being written, and that's what's important to them. And, and if you guys that are watching along haven't figured it out, they speak in metaphors. I think the sadness here, though, stories. is of course, well, not to blow it for anybody. Like I say, you've probably seen this already, everybody. But like you know that Captain Dayton is going to, well, he's going to perish, die in a second, and uh, he. Uh, it's sci-fi. We have. Say perish. Perish is good. <laughs> it's just sad because it's like to me. I want to know more about these guys. So much more. Like why? But look at the was smile he on his face. To, no, I dig. But why is he willing to to die to get this to happen? What is it that's going on in the in his culture in his nation that it is so necessary to bridge the gap to make friends with the Federation? And the thing that gets me, the thing that concerns me, every time I watch this episode, look at Captain Dathan's face. Paul Winfield has a very Winston Churchill appearance to me. And when I think of him, I'm like, is there some horrible thing out there that's, that's crippling your society? And if you think that by bridging the gap with the Federation, you might be able to get Starfleet's support... That was a very Winston Churchill now, thing to do with the United States in World War II, in case anybody I, isn't I'm not thinking, aware. I'm not thinking that. Ah, oh, dude, that, that's, that's just good, me that's re- reading into this it, over and over again. My, my, 
my uh, rebuttal on that is uh, Sith lore. I hesitate to bring Star Wars, but in order to be the legendary captain, is to write your story. And he didn't go. He didn't go down Ooh, there to die. If he did, he point. did. But he was going to write a good story and write a good metaphor, and that's why they, they clap and clash when he tells the story near the end because the story was written correctly. And that story, Grant, you, you really got to think about why would you speak in metaphors? Just because you're smarter, you're you're some hipster asshole that only speaks in Shakespearean, or because every word that you speak has to be formed of honor. And your story has to be told and formed through honor. He might have won. They could have gone down there and and, and, and killed the beast and told the story how, how the Federation and and they united to uh, destroy this their boogeyman. But he's still getting an honorable story. And maybe that's what he's trying to write is that my 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 end all be all is a is a good story. And this story will inspire further generations to understand what it's like to risk your life to communicate and to bridge the gap. Because they've talked about how no one has any good – any encounters with these guys because they just can't fucking understand them. I think you're but right. I mean he just I, talked – Captain Picard just talked about sacrifice. Maybe – you know, it's sad to think because, you know, his first officer on the Temerian ship was like, no, we should get lost, Mirab, with the sails unfurled. And he's like, you know, no, I'm doing this. And uh, – Does it does it matter who they interact with as long as they tell a good story? Um, I would hope could so it, because there's a certain – I think it's very apparent that you're going to get a, a different diplomatic situation out of dealing with the Romulans or the Klingons than you would with the Federation. <clears throat> this is one of the first episodes where I saw it, saw it scatter from like around the sphere as, oh, as opposed to one particular point. Yeah, the phasers. Yeah, there's some unfortunate stuff where despite the fact that we know that the phasers come off of the saucer section with the, the uh, phaser strips. We see phasers come out of the torpedo tubes once or twice in the show, and it's just like, how do you how do you screw that up? But whatever, you know, some of it, sometimes it's not a screw-up. Sometimes it's a director just saying, I wanted to do this. Anyway. Now it's intense. The amount of cameras that are in this room. That's a lot. Every time you move that camera around, you're, uh, you've got to relight for that shot. That's a lot of work. And um, sometimes you can get the camera, like you've got this camera on data, you could probably just swing it over and hit Rager, who's the con officer, the, uh, the lady in the red uniform. Here we go, here we go. Listeners. He's telling the story. We know what that means, don't we? Yes, we do. Like when your dog is pissed at you and you whistle at it. I like Data's expression there. Yep. Uh, you know what's going on? Good. <laughs> what do you know that we don't? So caught. His eyes open. This is beautiful. It is. This is absolutely beautiful. 
And he still kept his log to his dying day. Yeah. Look at them breathing in the air of true blue glory. Yeah, they get it. They really get it. Here we go. They've got some pretty intense transporter technology if they can beam that right out of his hands. Yep. That's it. Picard and Dathan at Eladrell. That's the story that will be told of this of this occasion. And our future generations will will know honor and glory, and communication and friendship. Here, oh God, dude, I cry, I cried the first time I saw this. I have uh, watched this episode Not. and got a little weepy at this point several several times. And I think it's just because I really Ellen. adore Paul Winfield. He was Captain Terrell in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, he was in Terminator, the original Terminator. He is... Uh, oh, yeah. Was it Lieutenant yeah, he was Traxler? One of the cops. He was in the cops. Yeah. yeah. And he had a good role in that movie. And then, look at that. Look at that. It's reflecting the, the panel. The knife had a reflection of the panel that Captain Picard has on his... Uh, on his chair. That's pretty delicious, honestly. Because it's a 360-degree world, and if they didn't do that, you know, this suck. What else? And, a, and, a Captain T- or, and then uh, Paul Winfield also was in a hella long uh, biopic of Martin Luther King Jr. that I watched in high school, and uh, I don't, I can't say I whether or not that. it was good. I just really, really remember I saw watching that. it. Yeah? I saw that in high school, too. Yeah, like like the Romeo and Juliet, uh, the '70s version where you could see the say he takes for like two seconds. I recall. Uh, I recall have, that one. Have your parents sign a have your parents sign a waiver that you're going to watch a Raider movie with some saggy tits. I always felt the same way about uh, Clash of the Titans, though I got to say that was a much better pair. I'm worried that people are going to have to sign waivers to watch uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. My favorite book of all time. Yeah, it stands a chance. It's a dicey uh, God, society they... we're, mo- we're moving into, and it is not the one that is projected in this future of Star Trek, you know? I wish I could find myself in the same predicament that Picard is always at, where he's constantly contemplating and constantly thinking and constantly figuring out the best move and maneuver to protect his own above himself. <sighs> And, and oh god, that's gorgeous! That's a beautiful shot. They're you rarely see outside. Yeah, you rarely see outside of his ready room, except at the end of Best of Both Worlds Part Two, and this one. I can't think of another time where you see. That's that's like the penultimate contemplation right there. I'm gonna stop the. Uh, uh, the yeah, me too. Recording. What are your takeaways from that episode uh, now that we've watched it together and talked about it at a collegiate level? <laughs> yeah, we should write it. You know what? I have I have actually no, heard that, of people really writing a dissertations on this episode, talking about this. No, that, that, yeah, that's what we do. Talking about this concept of, uh, of linguistics and what you could get away with and how, why it would make any sense at all or how much more you or less you could convey to people. But... Um, I mean, my takeaway is, like I say, I, I always wished for more. There are two episodes of Next Generation where they encountered they encounter these aliens, and I want to know more, and I've made that completely clear. And then sometime in the seventh season, maybe sixth, 
um, they encounter the, uh, the, uh, they get in this wacky episode that a lot of people don't like the Masaka transformations. And, um, they're, they, they come across an archive traveling through space, hidden inside of cometary, uh, ice. And then the computer inside the archive takes over the ship's replicators and transporters and starts converting everything in the ship into that society until even data gets rewritten until they can figure it out. And I want to see a sequel to that. I want to know, do they ever go to that planet and try to figure out what happened between Masaka and Corgano? I don't know if you'll like that one, but ultimately when you get there, I'm going to be excited to review that one. Um, I these two episodes, these, it's like, uh, sorry. I haven't needed, I haven't hated any of these episodes. It's good. I really don't hate any of the Next Generation episodes. There's definitely, like, there's definitely one that I think is a failed attempt. Um, and I'm trying to, I can't recall the episode. I know that when I read the episode, uh, the, the, I read back information about the episode where um, Dr. Crusher gets taken hostage by the terrorists on this one planet. And, um, they were like, okay, there's our there's our IRA. And for a lot of people that don't recall, because this situation seems to have resolved itself over a lot of time ago, and I can't recall it, the Irish Republican Army, uh, this was like, this is our terrorism episode. And they felt like it really, really hit the mark, or missed the mark. I feel like the episode where Riker falls for a very androgynous alien who has... It's like a genderless species, but she has female persuasions. And it's like they really missed the mark on that one, too. I think that the, I think that the, uh, and I'm, you know, that's not talking about this episode. But, like, if you're talking about episodes that I hate, it's not that I hate those episodes. It's just, like, they just didn't quite get it. I think this one nails it in particular fashion, but it's still a little bit off-putting, like you said, because... Picard is coming off kind of dense initially, and he's not thick-headed enough not to be able to... He's just so experienced, you know? To just roll in there and be like, whoa, whoa, if you want me to fight you, I'm not going to fight you, but let's figure this out. And cautious. Yeah. And cautious. He was kind of overly cautious, and he's not Kirk doing cowboy diplomacy, as ascertained in Star Trek VI, but he... Captain Picard is a better first contact uh, captain than this. And, uh... Anyway, yeah, that's that's my only beef with it. It takes him a little bit too long to start figuring things out. I don't think I would have written it for them to have... had to live an overnight in the cold to get to them at the fire discussing things. But, uh, yeah. And the Eladrell creature is a cool... Thing, that they never do anything like that again, except that the Jem Hadar do have that shrouding, they call it, so they can appear out of nowhere cloaked. I think you'll like the Jem Hadar when you get to that someday. And uh, nobody else cloaks except for starships. But my takeaway is. The sun is a bitchy fucking Romulans. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> Klingons and several others. I gotta say, though, I it was. It was a big question in the auction that I worked on. You know, we had the, the stuff that went to Christie's, 
And then we had the It's a Wrap auction. And when I encountered the Temerian costumes, the level of detail that went into fabricating those, the layers of fabric and the very tough stitching that made it happen, uh, to give them form and purpose and simultaneously a uniform aspect. You know, you look at all of the aliens in the background, the other Temerians and what their uniforms look like. There were divisions. There were tints, just like the Federation or just like Starfleet. And uh, even going to look at Romulan costumes, they have different metallic tints. And uh, we don't know what division that puts them into. But my takeaway is that, you know, there is a high, high attention to detail put into writing this one and depicting it. And uh, what, what, it, what it lacks in appropriate character for P- Captain Picard builds a really good pacing and tension, I think. What do you think, man? Good, good point. My takeaway from this is I work at a call center. Guys, I work at an insurance company. And I sell insurance. And I can't say it because, obviously, all the cursing I do will get me fired. But um, my takeaway from this is it reminds me of initial training from years ago, first starting at a uh, call center. Like, you don't know what these people are going through. You can you get people on the phone all the time, and they'll be in a good mood and ready to do business. And you get people that are stressed, that are on the phone, that you're on Bluetooth. They want to do actual business while they're driving and oh. on Bluetooth and going through a drive-through and 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 then you think you're you're ready to just write them off that that they're just assholes and not worth your time. But you get told like treat these people like the way you get an old lady on the phone. Treat this person the way you treat your grandma if it was your grandma and your dad was on the phone and. That's kind of like a, the first step, but the next step is like four stories higher if your feet are that long to take that extra step. You have to realize that no matter who you encounter, you, you have these human connotations and emotions. Like, I want to be the best person I can be to meet this person. And, and hey, nice to meet you. Shake hands and but maybe that person doesn't want to shake hands. Oh yeah. Good point. Maybe that person doesn't want to shake hands. Maybe shaking hands in that culture, uh, is disgusting or, but at the same time though, um, my point is encounter every person that you encounter with the mindset that you want to write a great story. You've got your best friends, you've got your loved ones, you've got your acquaintances, but encounter everyone as if you were about to try to write the best story you can write with these people because that's exactly what Picard went through. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier, like, yeah, these people have had a lot of you know bad encounters. Like, yeah, they, they want to work with the Federation. Do they want to work with the Federation or do they just want to fucking meet people that can understand what the hell they're saying and <laughs> understand their stories? These people didn't give a shit about being part of, of the Federation or, 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 or in any way be part of Starfleet. They just wanted to write a good story. So my takeaway from this is, guys, just going to get gay as hell on you. 
you meet someone, write the best story you can write with them, whether or not you can agree with them on anything or agree to disagree. Uh, realize that you all have the same problems or different problems. Or you know what this person's going through. Just write the best story you can with these people. And if, and if you can do that, every person you bump into is going to feel your light and understand that you're You've no hostility. I mean, I, I, I flashed back to this one time. I was at uh, I was at the post office in Norman, in, in 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 Oklahoma. I had a Deadpool shirt on, and there was this short Indian guy, a native guy, forgive me, um, big old leather jacket. I'm just there to uh, mail some Christmas presents, and he looks at me and he sees my pentagram, my pentacle actually. Mm-hmm. And he assumes that my Deadpool shirt is a, a anti-God thing. And there's people <laughs> in line I know yeah. that I that I've I've, I've waited that I've waited their tables. And he's just drunk. I can smell the alcohol on him. He just reeks of it. I mean, like, like I can drink a lot, but like I don't reek. But like Jesus Christ, this guy was just he just smelled like a fucking brewery. And he starts telling me about God and Jesus. How Jesus is gonna fuck me up. And he's about to take his jacket off because he wants to fight me. And then, next, please. And then he just sobers. Oh yeah, I'm tired of waiting in line. And he was—he wanted to fuck me up. He didn't know what I was going through. He didn't know that I had a knife in every pocket and a straight razor in every boot, ready for this. Just standing there, smiling down at this guy. I didn't say anything. I'm like, no, this is an X-Men thing. This, this is a comic book shirt. I think and a lot of to... comic book shirts and uh, I think a lot of comic book shirts have uh, freaked people out in the past. I was wearing a Seth Agreed. Rollins shirt, uh, the one that you gave me, and I was checking out at a counter at a 7-Eleven and there was a gal that was, uh, the, the, she was the clerk there and I uh, um, she was, she was not white. She was black. And I looked at that. I, she asked me, she was like, what's that shirt? And I was like, uh, man, you know what? This looks like some kind of white supremacist shit suddenly. I was suddenly <laughs> very, like, this is, uh, he's a wrestler. She was like, it's not a band? And I was like, no, it's a wrestler. And she thought it was a band-related shirt. And uh, I think it was because the logo is crisp, but it looked not overtly uh, elaborate and uh, therein it just could have been easily, I could see that being on a CD cover, you know, and I was glad she didn't immediately think that it was some, some skinhead nonsense, you know, but uh, agreed. And, and, and in retrospective, this guy could have been drinking because his wife left him and was cheating on him and he was on edge already. Mm -hmm. I don't know that shit, but he was on edge, ready to fight me at a fucking post office in Norman, <laughs> Oklahoma. And, well, and Norman yeah, I, 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 when it happened, I wasn't even offended. I was just, I just, this sort of shit always magnetized towards me. But at the same time, though, what was he going through? Did his wife just leave him? Did yeah. his kid just say, hate your guts after him spending all this money for them to go to art school, then be a DJ? <laughs> like, like. Maybe he's just drunk and pissed off at the world, and he just focuses on me accidentally. And I'm glad I handled myself in accordance with the way Picard would. Because I asked him questions. Why are you mad at me? I'm just behind you. 
No, I'm not, not here to. I'm not your enemy. I've got a pinnacle. This is the like the. It's not a pentagram. The, oh, the, nobody the knows. The V isn't man. downwards. The, the V isn't downwards. Saying I'm 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 a rebel and I love Satan or however anyone wants to interpret it, which is not really how it how it goes. But um, this is balanced to me and it focuses me. And but it just set him off in the Deadpool shirt and. I don't know what he went through that day. It's just getting his butt but apparently he, for no reason. He really he had to mail something. Agreed, but my point is is that I'm glad I handled it in Picard fashion. There you go. And I hope he's okay. Yeah, there's a lot of people who's uh, don't deserve your anybody's continued ire. Think about it. You know, you've got you've got people who are protagonists in your life. You've got people who are secondary characters in your life, and then you've got a lot of extras. And if those if if the extras are really bugging the crap out of you, man, that's a lot to get over. Anyway, that's all I got. I appreciate you asking my takeaway. Um, yeah. We're gonna do minefields for the last two weeks of comics tomorrow. I'm gonna release this tomorrow, uh, which is gonna be today for you guys. Um, We've read a lot of good comics, and sorry we we haven't kept up in the comics. That we we've done our best, but we've had a lot of uh, really shitty, uh, unfortunate instances that happen this week. Not girlfriend stuff, like literal, like like have to take off work stuff. And uh, it's just great to talk to my best friend. And I hope you guys get a good kick out of this and enjoy. Because I, I I don't know about you, Colin, but this is what it's like. Back when I was in college at OU, because it was a superior college as opposed to Stillwater. Um, fuck it. you. Um, <laughs> he's a fucking cowboy. Jesus Christ, my best friend is a fucking OSU cowboy. Um, I'm just giving you shit. Not worried um, about it. Carry on. No, not worried about it. But this is what discourse was like in poetry, English, women's studies, gender studies, post-humanist studies. This is what it was like. And I hope you guys get a kick out of it because uh, we love you and we really appreciate your support and send us more emails and we'll focus on whatever you want. Because we're going to get some X-Files. I agree. We're getting some X-Files. We're getting some X-Files coming on and we're going to switch roles here where I'm the guy pointing out the clothes and... See that suit? It's the same suit he wore in the last episode. Because that's all he ever wears. Same jizz stain. I oh, saw dude. it. I synced it. But yeah. I love you, man. Uh, you got anything left to uh, add to add to this particular episode? Just one thing. I was uh, messing around, looking at, uh, clicking through some stuff, and uh, uh, when I was when we were doing this, the uh, the lady I brought up that uh, was in the shuttlecraft with. Uh, Worf, turns out, yeah, for whatever reason, her stage name is Cameron. Uh, she doesn't go by her actual name. And she, uh, her character actually has a name. I am trying to figure out exactly when we ascertained where her name came from. But she is Ensign Kellogg, if that makes any difference to anybody. And uh, I'm going to see if there's a game card of her now. Anyway, uh, I think that's it for Star Trek tonight. Thank you guys for listening in to uh, Darmok, my favorite Next Generation episode. Not my favorite episode of Star Trek overall. I'll save that for uh, sometime later. But, um, yeah, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you all later. This is dangerous. This is dangerous. Over and out.